Well, thank you so much, worship team. Uh, what a beautiful time of worship, and we certainly appreciate um, you uh, doing that. Well, here's where we find ourselves this week. We're in the third chapter of the book of James, uh, James chapter 3. Uh, before the uh, Passion Week, uh, we had found ourselves studying the first two chapters of the book of James. Let's just recap very quickly. James is the brother of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Jesus had brothers and sisters. And James here is, uh, after the resurrection, becomes a believer uh, in his brother, who he calls the Lord, uh, his Savior. He was convinced by the post-resurrection appearance of his brother, Jesus, that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And it changed his life, uh, just like the other members of his family. They didn't really believe in him, uh, Jesus, that is, while the, uh, he lived here on the earth. But after they saw the resurrection, oh yes, their whole lives changed. And James was no different. James was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. And he had to handle and uh, uh, to decide some very sticky problems in the early church. And so uh, we find a man who's convinced of the resurrection, leading and guiding the church. And he does so with great uh, ability and sensitivity and firmness. Uh, all the things that we're going to talk about today with respect to the wisdom of God, uh, James had by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And oh, by the way, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, the Spirit lives in us, that Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He now lives in us. Well, what happened in the first two chapters of the book of James? Well, we saw this. We saw that trials can profit us, P-R-O-F-I-T. They can be beneficial. They can help in our um, quest or our, our road to Christ-likeness, fueled by God himself through the Spirit. And when you have the right attitude and you look for the blessing in the trials, it can be great benefit to us in our Christian walk. Why? Because trials will come. Not may they come or if they come, they are coming and Jesus, or, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit through the uh, uh, person of James wrote these things down and told us all about them. And he talked about uh, various ways in which to uh, look for things, look for the good, look for the, uh, uh, the things that the Lord is sending us in the trials. And we talked about that at length. And then in the second chapter, uh, James talks to us about being uh, keenly aware of personal favoritism in the church, and there's no part of that in the church, rich or poor, this color or that color, that side of the tracks, this side of the tracks, looks different from me, looks the same as me. We're all one in Christ, and therefore all deserve dignity and respect in the church. There should be no cliques. And then at the second half of chapter 2, we talked about, or James tells us through the Holy Spirit, that faith without works is dead. And that is not mutually exclusive from what Paul taught us. By grace we have been saved. So what is it? 
Is it grace through faith that we're saved, or is it works that saved us? And we said and talked about the fact that we're not saved by our works, but we are saved unto works. A real saving faith is a faith that works the works of God. And that was in chapter 2. Now chapter 3 comes and uh, we're going to have uh, spiritual surgery done on ourselves. In fact, uh, you know there's several groups out there, aren't there? There's grief share groups and there's Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, there's drug uh, rehab uh, groups that get together and divorce care uh, and all those sort of things. And I'm wondering uh, why there's not one for this. Gossip and Slanderers Anonymous. And I got to tell you, I might be the one who would have to show up at the meeting and say, Hi, my name's Tim. And I'm wondering if maybe as we see this, maybe this uh, uh, was going to impact you in a real and powerful way. Why? Well, let me read to you one through the end of the chapter of chapter 3. We'll pause to pray, and then we're going to break it down. Look at this. Chapter 3 of the book of James, starting with verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone doesn't stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they, may, or that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Also, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude, trouble saying that word, of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, uh, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus... No spring yields both salt water and fresh. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic, for where evil, or excuse me, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. 
But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Would you do me a favor and pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Well, Lord, we do. We come here and we need help, Lord. You've set forth your truth in this word and yet we need help discerning all that you would have for us. What is it that you're saying to us here, Lord? By your spirit, we need your help. Please come and do your mighty work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this chapter in my Bible is called The Untamable Tongue. The Untamable Tongue. I don't know if you know this, but if you did a word search on Blue Letter Bible or any other uh, Bible searching uh, uh, engine, you're going to get around somewhere 2,500 hits for those things that talk about the lips, the mouth, words. I mean throughout the entire Bible, the Lord has told us in a magnificent and uh, uh, out there way, a a plain uh, way, a plain way, how important our speech is. Just going through several of the Proverbs and the Psalms, you're going to see amazing uh, scriptures that deal with this very issue. Check this out in Proverbs 18.21. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Psalm 141.3 and 4, David wrote this, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Oh, that we could uh, uh, associate or, uh, oh, are we convicted by what David wrote here, set a guard, O Lord, over our mouths. Proverbs ten nineteen. in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. How about this? Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 25, 11. I love this one. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, refreshing and delightful. Psalm 1624, another very famous psalm. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Proverbs 1821, or excuse me, Proverbs 18.6. A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. And then on to verse 7. A a fool's mouth is his destructions or destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. We read a few months ago in Ecclesiastes, don't be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart any, or utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know what was said about our Lord in First Peter? 
2.22, quoting Isaiah, who committed no sin. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. There was no deceit in our Lord's mouth. And this was a big issue uh, for the Lord as he instructed his people while he lived here. Just listen to this one in Luke 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. How about this? In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, our Lord said this, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak. They will give account of it in the day of judgment. Who? Verse 37, for by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, this is a real serious issue, and I've just run through several scriptures that you can turn to, but there's one in uh, Romans uh, 1.30 that Paul uh, instructs us in, talking about those who practice things that are deserving of eternal death and that God will judge. And one of the um, uh, types of sins that he talks about in Romans 1 verse 30 are those who are whisperers or backbiters or in another way, gossipers or slanderers, if you will. Those who practice such things, Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit, are deserving of death. God will judge. So what I'm trying to say to you and bring to you is that this is a real serious issue. Now we've said over the last several weeks that we've been studying James. James is a real practical book. What should our lives look like as we live out this life filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, one thing that the Lord is seriously concerned about is our speech. Look at this, if you will. I just highlighted uh, several of these. I highlighted these. The Lord takes us through uh, several pictures of what um, our speech uh, is or what our speech looked like or how our speech impacts people. And here's one of them. Their bits, our speech is like a bit in a horse's mouth or our speech is like a very small rudder on a massive ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Or ever, anybody ever lived in Hawaii like I did? And I used to go down and look at the, uh, uh, the, the ships, and they had these just little rudders that turn the ship and guide the ship. Well, the Lord says that they, uh, our uh, speech, our mouths, our tongues, are a very small rudder. How about this? Our tongues, our mouth, our speech are like deadly, poisonous animals. Our speech is like a forest fire or can be a fire. Fire for the good, fire for the bad. Our speech can be like a fig tree or it can be um, a a spring that yields forth uh, good uh, water or bad water, or even flood us. But those are the, vi- uh, the pictures. Bits in a horse's mouth, rudder on a ship, forest fire, a deadly poisonous animal, fig tree, or a fountain or a spring. We're going to study those. Let's go back to the first verse. 
My brethren, he says, let not many of you become teachers. Now, that's fascinating. I'm one of those teachers. Uh, in the um, first chapter, excuse me, the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, right around verse 28 or so, uh, Paul outlines uh, a number of different uh, uh, roles that people play in the church. And he says, first, some were called to be apostles. Next, or second, some were called to be prophets. And third, some were called to be teachers. Now, why is that? Because at the time that these books were being written, or after the Lord had uh, uh, resurrected and then ascended, and then the book of Acts came in, these men and women would go around the ancient world spreading the gospel. And these apostles and prophets would go and evangelize. And when they would leave the town, who would they leave them to? They would leave them to a local body that included a teacher, a teacher. And so the teacher was responsible for edifying or building people up in the faith and then sending them out. And teachers were very important. And teachers in this day are very important. Teachers in this day are taking the love letter or the heart of God contained in the Bible and explaining what the Bible says to the people that come and are being taught by the teacher. And that's hopefully what we're doing to you, with you. We're explaining what the scriptures say. And then the Holy Spirit comes and works in your heart and guides you into all truth and leads you in sanctification and all of those things. And people get built up and get strong and strengthened in the word. Just go and read Psalm 119 and see what the word does for us. It rejuvenates us and it uh, uh, saves us. First of all, it saves us and then it uh, sanctifies us, the Bible tells us. And it, uh, Psalm 119 says it rejuvenates us and refreshes us and builds us up. Uh, but the New Testament, as I mentioned, says it saves us. It, it brings us into salvation when the word of God is uh, preached and it uh, sanctifies. Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth your word. And so it's important. And it's important that we have teachers who are teaching the word of God and not opinions, but what really the word says so that people are impacted. And it says here, yes, they are important. Paul said they were important. But remember, because they're important doesn't mean you should just automatically run out and seek the position. Because this is such a serious matter, telling what the scriptures say, revealing the heart of God to people, that teachers are held to a different and stricter judgment. Why is that? Because what we do, what teachers do, is a really serious business. Now, we like to have fun here and uh, fellowship with one another, and yet... The word of God being preached and taught can be, as the Lord uses it, the, uh, the difference between life spiritually or death spiritually. For those who reject God word, God's word, there's spiritual death coming, separation from God for eternity. But for those who receive God's word and take uh, or submit their lives to the Lord, then it leads to spiritual life. And that's a serious business. 
And here it says that this teacher has a stricter judgment. Why? Because we're sharing God's truth. And also, uh, uh, we're, in, uh, we're under judgment as we uh, take, uh, share God's truth, yes, but also how we live our lives. Oh, my. You know, several times here, uh, as I've taught something, maybe four or five years ago, or as I go home, I've thought to myself over the years as I've been, in, uh, uh, you know, just been uh, convicted by the Holy Spirit, I think to myself, you know, maybe I said that, not maybe, I said that wrong, and that wasn't right, and that's not the way I should have said it, or maybe three or four years ago, maybe I taught that doctrine that wasn't right or wasn't right on, and, it, and the Lord busts me about that, and the Lord busts me about that, and we, we come under a different judgment. We're called to build people up in the faith, and sometimes we've failed and not done that. I'm going to give you a little story. It's maybe one of the worst stories I've ever had happen here at Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh. There's a certain guy in our fellowship who likes to bowl, and I like to kid him about his bowling. And uh, he uh, uh, bowls on, he originally bowled on Wednesday nights, but he uh, changed his bowling night to Tuesday nights so he could come to church, and it's kind of a running joke between he and I, and several times I've mentioned that fact uh, in the, um, uh, the sermons about how, you know, our bowling schedules can get in the way and become idols in our life, and he and I have laughed about that after the sermon and, and joked about that. Well, if you don't know, and if you don't attend here, before service, we have donut hour, coffee hour, and uh, we fellowship downstairs before uh, we come up and do uh, uh, the service at 10.30. And one particular day, there was this man who came in here. And uh, he had been burned by a church somewhere up northern Pittsburgh. He had been burned by a church, and uh, he had shared this story with me. you got to realize, before the service, if I'm downstairs, a lot of people are talking to me. Uh, they got a lot of irons in the fire. I'm thinking about the sermon, those sorts of things. And this man shared with me that he'd been burned by the church, and it's been one of the first times he's ever come back to church. And one of the things that he shared with me is that he was on a committee. And oftentimes, he couldn't meet with that committee because he bowled. You know where this story's going? And he shared that with me, and he said it made him sick. It made him really uh, turned off about Christians, the way in which the commi other committee members had treated him and kind of kicked him out of the committee. He had left the church, and he had uh, not gone to church for a while. Well, uh, you know, uh, that was, you know, 9.30, quarter till 10 in the morning, and as 10.30 service came up, uh, I was expounding the scriptures, and um, uh, I was uh, talking something about how things can be more important um, than the Lord in our hearts, and I used bowling schedules immediately after this uh, sweet man told me about how he had been burned uh, by people at his church and how bowling schedules can get in the way, and really what I was thinking in my heart <laughs> was my friend who attends here regularly, he and I kid around back at, about it, and I had forgotten this man had shared that with me 20 or 30 minutes before. Well, what I saw was the man get up and make a loud sigh in the back of the sanctuary, and soon as he did, right in the middle of my sermon or teaching, my heart sank. <laughs> because I had wounded him, and I had hurt him, and I haven't seen him since. 
That's a tough story. And why I tell you that is, not to feel sorry for me, what I, why I tell you that is, if the teachers, think about this, teachers are up here 52 weeks out of the year, maybe 50, maybe 45, whatever their teaching schedule is, 40, 35, whatever, whatever their teaching schedule is. And sometimes, listen to this, although we are under a stricter judgment, we communicate a lot. And oftentimes, we make mistakes. And the Bible says, uh, we're under a stricter judgment. So you know what that helps us do? It helps us to become prepared. When you think about what you're doing on Sundays and Wednesdays or whenever you teach, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or whether you're leading a home group Bible study or whatever we're doing, we read this and we recognize that this is a very serious matter and that we should come into these things really well prepared. It also tells us that there should be no arrogance in our preaching. There should be a real care and a real sensitivity because we know, I think, but by the grace of God, we could certainly mess up and say something wrong. And the Bible says there's a stricter judgment for that. We should not take these things lightly. We should not say, oh, well, I've done it 35 times out of the year. What's 36? No, each one is precious to the Lord and is precious to the teacher. We come under a stricter judgment. But then I want you to see something in verse 2. Then he makes a transition, like a shifting of the car. In verse 2, he says, but, but hold on before you start pointing the finger at the teacher, although the teacher is under a stricter judgment. Hold on. We all stumble in many things. This word actually means like a banana peel. We slip up in many things. So watch it. Watch it. We slip up in many things. All of us mess up in this area, the Bible tells us. And then he goes on uh, later and he says in that verse, and he says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. The, the, the implication there, though, is that no one does that. No one's perfect in word. In other words, be very circumspect about looking down on others. Of course, you should be a Berean and watch what uh, 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 teachers say, and you should uh, examine them and uh, be good. But if somebody makes a mistake, they make a mistake, and there will be mistakes. But for the teacher, they should be man enough or woman enough in the Lord, <laughs> humble enough in the Lord to be able to say, you know what? I blew that. I am not a know-it-all. I don't know everything. And for the people receiving the word, although yes, uh, your, your pastor or your teacher shouldn't be teaching uh, incorrect doctrine, but also recognize that sometimes there's going to come out of the mouth of people things that they didn't mean to say. And hopefully there's this back and forth there where all of us can then move on in, in grace and mercy, but also in teaching what is right and true. Because we all stumble in word. We all stumble in word, and we're not all perfect. But if you could, if you were able to uh, not slip up in word, you would be that perfect man, the Bible says. Well, verse 3, it says this, Indeed, all of us, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Uh, 
and we turn their whole body, and then look also at ships, although they're so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the plot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And that's a strange way of saying it in the Greek, because that phrase, boasts great things, means the pride in which people speak sometimes, listen to this, wounds, provokes, and hurts others. That's what that means right there. So let's look at that for a minute. Our tongue, the words that we speak. We put bits in horses' mouths. We, there's a very small rudder on a ship. These things, in comparison to the thing that it's guiding, are very, very small. Agreed? They're very small. But they're powerful for a greater purpose. Are you catching that? You think to yourself, how can a bit, what is a bit, that big on both sides of the mouth, that big, take care of that horse and guide and direct that thing? That thing's huge. It's a big stallion or a steed. It's huge. Or how about a little rudder, just a peewee little rudder, can move that carnival cruise ship? Are you kidding me? It's just very little. And you understand that there's forces outside of the thing, the horse or the ship, that try to derail the horse or the ship, like wind and rain. And so you have to navigate those things. The horse's nature even wants to run wild and not go there and not go here. And storms in the middle of the ocean take you know, care of which way a, a, a ship goes. And see, we have forces. Do you understand this? We have forces, the Bible tells us, in Ephesians. I think it's Ephesians 2. We have forces called the world, the flesh, and the devil. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3. These things that try to derail us and our tongues. What else is a bit or a rudder like? Well, this is fascinating. Someone other than the bit or the rudder, drives them. On top of a horse is a rider. Up in the captain's area, there's a wheel, and <laughs> I don't even know what it's called, but, and that guides that rudder. You understand that? So the question becomes, who's in control of the bit? You or somebody else? See, with the horse, it's better that the, uh, somebody else is in control. With the rudder, if you didn't have anybody in control, the ship would just go wherever it wants or wherever it wanted to, or wherever uh, the winds took it. And you've got to know this. A bit and a rudder are used to set a course, to go places. You catching it? We're told, as I read to you earlier, that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So let's go through these things. Look at this. Your tongue is very little compared to the rest of your body. The tongue doesn't, you know, take a gun and murder somebody. The tongue uh, uh, is, is something little. We don't often think of as a big sin. It's small, just like a bit or a rudder. And there's all these different forces trying to der derail our tongue. And that is the flesh, what appeals to me. You know what appeals to us? You know what really appeals to our flesh? We're going to talk about it almost the entire time. Here's what appeals to the flesh. Gossip, slanderer, whispering in the dark behind people's back, backbiting, 
Remember in Romans 1 verse 30, Paul said those things will be judged even unto death, those who practice them. You catch it? Why does it appeal to our natural self without the Lord? Because oftentimes, listen to this, oftentimes people without the Lord don't feel good about themselves. And a great way to feel good about themselves is to bring other people down. And when we speak about people outside of their hearing, it makes us feel good and it can be a fuel, a fire. We'll get to that in a minute. It appeals to us. It appeals to our flesh. And then the enemy of our souls comes in and says things like, yeah, that person did this to you. You should, whatever, get back at them, or you should hold a grudge against them, or you should penalize them by withholding forgiveness. And that's a lie straight from the pit of hell because all of these things hurt you just as much as they hurt the person. So what is gossip? It's speaking about somebody outside of their presence. You're speaking something there that you would never say in their presence. Are you getting that? And that can include half-truths, untruths, and sometimes it can even be truthful things that are said in a hurtful way. Get it? That's all gossip. So what's the litmus test? If you wouldn't say it to the person's face with the inflections and the way in which you said it uh, to them, and you say it uh, outside of their presence, you're committing gossip. You're gossiping. You're slandering people. Of course, slander is uh, when you say some untruth, and I think sometimes even the truth, the way it's said outside of people's lives, can be gossip. So what am I saying? These, these things can do real bad stuff. And one thing that we can see here is that if we uh, let them go without a bit in a, ha- in a horse's mouth, they'll run wild. These things will run wild. If we let a ship go without the rudder, the ship will go not where it's supposed to go. You see the point? What else? Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. That's what we're talking about. Gossip, slanderer, or slandering, things that are untoward in our speech. We say them outside the presence of people, and we say them to wound and to provoke and to make ourselves feel better. It's a, a propping up of us at the expense of another. This stuff hurts. And can be very hurtful. Look what else it's like. Check this out. In the next verse. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire. A world of of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it uh, defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature. And is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. What's this all about? Well, it's a great forest fire or a fire. Uh, There's a great fire that happens when... um, we talk untoward in an untoward way, when we're gossiping, when we're slandering, when we're provoking people, when we're wounding people. It's a, 
a fire. It can be hurtful. Don't you remember, uh, many of us, right, we uh, have learned and studied about the 1871 Chicago fire. You remember uh, thoughts about that fire? Well, that fire started in the O'Leary barn, remember? Some say a cow knocked over something and uh, started a fire. Well, listen to this. In one barn, that fire swept through the entire city until 17, think about this now, 17,500 buildings were destroyed. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. 100,000 people became homeless as a result of a fire in one edifice or one building. There was $400 million in 1871 in damage. And there were over 300 deaths, all started by a fire. You see, what's very interesting about fire is most of us are fascinated with it. You ever been around a campfire? It's mesmerizing. You look into it. What do you love to do? What do you love to do? I know what you love to do. You love to blow on the fire to build it up. And then when it gets going real well and it starts to die down, you go over and you add fuel to the fire with more wood. Fuel with oxygen, blowing on it. Fuel with more wood. You love it. So do I. We love it. We're fascinated with fire. The Holy Spirit under the inspiration, or excuse me, James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is really uh, tuned in here because fire fascinates people. And here he compares our tongue to a fire that spreads. It starts. Look at this. Look at this, folks. Backbiting. Uh, slandering, gossiping, being untoward, provoking other people, wounds. Guess what happened? They can start very small. And they can then spread like wildfire. A little fire kindles and the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. What others say, one person, uh, one commentator said, what others say to us and what we say to others can last a very long time for good or for evil. So it can last for a long time and it can spread for a wide area. And it's full of sin. It's full of iniquity. And I want you to see something. This kind of talk, it defiles all of us. But then I want you to notice it's set on fire by hell. You catching that? The way in which we talk like that is not only appeals to our natural inclination to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but also once the enemy globs onto it, look at this, he can ignite it for the purposes of hell. Notice too, what happens here is not only are you hurting others, and you are, when we engage in these kinds of things, these kinds of talk, this kind of talk, when we let these, this kind of speech come out of our mouths that's not true or half-truths or said in a way that's very hurtful or provoking, it can spread from the first pew to the last pew. It can spread from this end of the town to that end of the town. It can go and last for years and years. I'll bet some of you can remember something that maybe your mom or your dad or your brother or sister said to you when you were little, and it stuck with you all those years, whether for good or for evil. And it's hurtful, 
and it's still hurtful, and it's lodged in there. Or it's a blessing, and it's still a blessing, and it's lodged in there. And here he says, uh, this tongue, when spoken in the wrong way, can set a fire. And then it can not only destroy people, it can destroy churches, it can destroy Sunday schools, it can destroy men's groups and women's groups. Guess what? It also defiles the person who's saying it. It can hurt you. It's powerful force to hurt and to harm you. And these sorts of conversations are inflamed or fueled by hell. They're demonic. What's fascinating about this is that once something like this is let let out, it's very difficult to control. Uh, one uh, uh, story is told of a, a villager um, in England, I think it is, well, wherever, a villager uh, with a, uh, uh, you know, a pastor or uh, a man of God in the town, a villager who was known to be a very uh, uh, extensive and pervasive gossiper. And one day the Lord really busted this villager and he uh, came to the, the pastor and he said, man, I really want to be uh, forgiven for all of this, and uh, uh, what should I do? And uh, uh, he, he, here's what the, the pastor said. He said, I want you to go home to all your chickens, and I want you to pluck out a ton of chicken feathers, and then I want you to go around to all the people in the town, and I want you to lay a chicken feather down in each person's yard, and then I want you to come back to me. And he said, well, wow, if, if, that's, uh, uh, if I do that, will it be okay? He said, just, just go do it, and then come back to me. And so the man went and plucked enough chicken feathers and went around the whole village setting those uh, uh, feathers right there in the front yard of the people who he had spoken bad against. And he came back to the pastor and he said to the pastor, great, is it all paid for? Is it all done? What, What do I need to do? And the pastor looked at him and he said, now I want you to go and I want you to pick up every feather and put it back in your bag. And the guy said, okay, and then it dawned on him. How in the world am I ever going to go pick up those chicken feathers? It's been a couple days since I've done it. It's been windy. There's no way I'm going to be able to pick up all of those chicken feathers. What do I do? And the pastor said, yeah, and that's the point. Once you let something out there like that, oh, yes, you can be forgiven for your sins for doing it. But the damage has been done, and oftentimes you can't reel it back in. And we've hurt people, and we've hurt uh, 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 churches, and we've hurt people in the church, and it's very powerful. It's something that we can't control. How about this? Notice this. We talked about it right at the beginning. Once we do this fiery, hellish speech, or we let it out, The Bible says that if we fuel it, it's going to grow and get bigger. But Proverbs 26.20 says this, and this is one you should write down and you should know. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. So if we add wood, the fire continues. If we Withhold wood or fuel, the fire goes out. And where there's no tail bearer, and tail bearer there means letting a tail linger or bear for a long time. 
But if there's no tear-bearer, then strife ceases. We'll come back to that in a minute. How about this? He does this then. He says, well, it's like a fire. It can get out of control, and there can be fueled, and it can be powerful to really hurt people. But what about this in verse 8? No man can tame the tongue. In ver- also in verse 7, for every kind of beast we read, of reptile, bird, of reptile, and creature of the sea, has been tamed by mankind. So now he's talking about something else uh, uh, that the tongue is like. And that's this. You know this. In Genesis 1.28, uh, talking to Adam and Eve, and also in Genesis 9.2 uh, with Noah, you know that God reminded them or told them that we had, man had, dominion over the birds and the animals animals, and that we were to rule and uh, make good use of them and respect all of uh, those animals, but then use them for man's good. And so we could use them and tame them in that sense. And so every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and creature of the sea, it can be tamed. It's been tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But check this out. Nobody can tame the tongue. Now you think about that. Elephants, (laughs) Elephants, <laughs> or maybe that's not a good one. You know, big uh, uh, moose or caribou or uh, big deer, mule deer or whatever, uh, little rabbits that run fast or, or whatever, uh, uh, big game, all this sort of thing, fish in the sea and in the rivers and the lakes, we can tame and we could use them for our glory. And sometimes you, or you use them for our purposes and for God's glory. And sometimes you look at those and you go, wow, those are powerful animals and fast animals. How in the world can we tame it? But then he talks about this thing that's in our mouth that never runs away. And he says, you can't tame it and neither can I. It's an unruly evil and it's full of deadly poison. Our mouths can be used for both death or life. And if we use it in the way where we provoke and hurt people, where we're backbiting and whisperers, you're like a deadly animal. Let me ask you something. You ever seen those movies? Oh, this freaks me out. You ever seen those movies or a movie where some, oh, I think it's in The Gladiator, my favorite movie. How about this? Where they try to kill somebody, and guess what they do? They'll sneak into their room and let go a poisonous snake. What if we in the church said, we're going to have poisonous snakes Sunday, and you all came in here, and we allowed a lot of poisonous snakes to run out of here. You guys would run or not come around, right? And here he's saying, for those who backbite and whisper in the dark and speak and provoke others, It's like you've allowed a wild, poisonous, toxic animal to run free in the church. Don't do it. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, the tongue, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, the likeness, image of God. They deserve, all men, all women, deserve respect and dignity because they're made in the image of God. And we come into the church, bless the Lord, and then go out there and say, I'm not going to forgive that person, or I'm holding a grudge against that person, or I'm, you can believe what that person did. 
Lord's here in this uh, scripture saying how incongruous that is, how inappropriate that is, because out of the same mouth, verse 10, proceeds both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Now listen, before you go beating yourself up too much, we have a very famous example of this. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord and Savior had this intimate conversation by a guy named Peter. And Peter just, I could just see him doing it, just slammed his fist on the table and said, Lord, I don't care what happens. If I had to die, I'd never deny you. And within hours, it says, as the Lord was being led in and around the priestly areas and the houses of the priests, that same man, Peter, not only denied our Lord, but in one of the Gospels it said he cursed our Lord. He cursed our Lord with cursings and cussings. John, the apostle of love, right? John, the apostle of love. Lord, I know I'm the apostle of love and I'm working and growing, but, uh, you know, I, I've gone on to be the, you know, this apostle, but wait a minute. They've said some bad stuff about us, Lord. You want me to call lightning and hail down from heaven and we'll blow, blow these people out? That came out of John's mouth. And the question becomes, has that come out of our mouths? Does a spring, verse 11, send forth fresh water? Does a spring uh, send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Does, does it do that? Can a fig tree, uh, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Our mouths, our tongues are like fountains or trees. Here's another thing he tells us to take a look at. Listen to these verses. Fountains can give cleansing or life or refreshment, or refreshment, right? Proverbs 10 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life, a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked, Proverbs 10, 11. Proverbs 18, 21, read to you several times, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12, 18, speech can be like uh, a sword or it can be healthy. How about this? Water cleanses, John 15, 3. We're clean because of the word I have spoken. And John 6, verse 63, Jesus said, Words I speak unto you, they are spirit and are life. Our speech, like the Lord, can be fountain that gives life or cleanses or refreshes. And trees, remember this, take roots and grow them really, really deep. And what do trees then every year bring forth, if they're alive, fruit? And in John 15, 16, the Bible says that we are like trees, or we are branches that are grafted in the vine. And the purpose of our lives, you can look it up in John 15, are to glorify God with our fruit, not ourselves. So let's take a look. What do we do? Where do we go from here? I read this and I texted my wife and said, oh my goodness, I'm one horrible human being. I've been convicted, man. 
Well, read this in verse 13. Who's wise and understanding among you? Where do we start to get wisdom? It's through the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Who's, who's, who's wise and understanding? Well, by good conduct, his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But, check this out. If you have bitter, bitterness, and bitterness and envy are closely related. But anyway, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts... Do not boast and lie against the truth, because this wisdom doesn't descend from above, but is earthly or sensual in my Bible, but it might be the word natural. It's according to the natural world. And this wisdom, folks, listen to this, it's demonic. It's from the very pit of hell. What is? It's when you're bitterly envious when you hold on to bitterness in your heart because of some slight from somebody and you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to hold a grudge against that person and that'll be great because that'll really get them back. You know you say it. And the point is, that is natural, sensual, demonic wisdom and it's self-seeking and it's um, uh, a boastful and it's lying against the truth. This is a fascinating picture right here. This self-seeking word is a word in the Greek that means out-seeking votes. Are you catching that? And so right here it says, uh, if you have this bitter envy, oh my goodness, you say, that person's doing better than I'm doing. So what you do is you go out in the world and you glad hand and you seek to get votes, not out of a love or compulsion under the love of Jesus Christ, but because you want to be propped up and not him. And you hide this in your hearts and you know it, but uh, you don't tell anybody. And so what it leads to is people going out and then boasting, wow, look how great I am. I'm way better than they are. I've been to 50 Bible studies this year. She's only been to 45. I serve on this committee and have given this amount of money. She hasn't done that. We boast. And we lie against the truth. And the truth is we aren't accepted by God because of how good we are. You catch it? We're accepted by God because how good he is and what he's done. And so there's no room for this in heavenly wisdom. This wisdom doesn't descend from above, but it's earthly, central. For where envy and self-seeking exist, listen to this, confusion, which means disorder from instability. People think the wisdom of the world is this great wisdom, but it always leads to confusion and instability. And the Bible tells us in Corinthians, the first and second chapter, here's what's at the heart of the wisdom of the Christian. You ready for this? the cross. And the cross makes perfect sense to us because of the Spirit of God. But to those who are outside the family of faith, the cross is foolishness. If you'll recall the gospel story, remember all the people uh, who weren't uh, of faith were saying, come on down from there and we'll know you are the Christ. And Jesus didn't say it, but he did it. He stayed up there 
because he is the Christ. And we know it. There's always a cross before a crown. That's heavenly wisdom. But see, when you're... Uh, your whole life is based on the cross. There's no instability. Oh, there's going to be tough times and tribulations, yes. But in the middle of it, you're going to be solid and sturdy. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Evil thing means devoid of God. Devoid of God. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let's look what heavenly wisdom looks like. See, we all need wisdom. We all need to know when we walk out of the church how to live the life of God. And this shows us. We're to live, our life should look like this. It fear, first, our actions, our thoughts, they should be pure and holy. And when that happens, that leads to peaceable actions. First of all, we're so thankful because of the blood of Christ, we've got, we've got peace with the Father. But now, because we have peace with the Father, we're seeking, as much as it's up to us, the Bible says in Romans, peace with all men and women. We do what the Lord asks us to have peace with all men and women. It doesn't always happen. But when we've done what the Lord says, that's pure and that's peaceable. And we do things gently, even when we know we have all the answers. We're gentle. We're gentle. What else are we? Oh, my. I struggle here. Maybe you do, too. We're willing to yield. It doesn't always have to be your way or my way. It doesn't always have to be your way or my way. You know, I'll just be honest with you. This started, uh, this whole church started in our house in 2003, January. And it was in our house for 11 years. We never thought about starting a church, but through a whole bunch of God-ordained circumstances, a church sprang up, and now here we find ourselves, and we've been here for five or six years, uh, doing church, maybe a little longer. Well, here's what I <laughs> um, uh, have been called to do. The Bible has called me now, through the Scriptures, to raise up other guys, to raise up other guys who can teach and to lead, and to grow, because this is about Jesus, not about a family. And my wife, she's been called to lead and build up other ladies so that they can teach and lead the ladies, and it's not always about us. And I got to tell you, just be honest with you, sometimes the guys don't do it the way I would do it. And there's this tendency to want to run out there and say, Hey, you know you're not doing it the way I would do it. But guess what? The Bible says, the Bible tells us right here that sometimes, lots of times, many times, there's a different way to do it and you should yield and be willing to yield. And then the wisdom of God looks like this in a person's life. You're full of mercy. Not just you have mercy and you're merciful, that's good, but you're full of it. 
What's mercy? Think about it. It's withholding from somebody something that they deserve. What is the gospel about? The gospel in many ways is about Jesus Christ who was innocent. They couldn't convict him in all the trials that we talked about over the uh, Passion Week, the Resurrection Day teachings. They couldn't convict him because he was innocent. All the people said it. Pontius Pilate, the uh, Roman centurion, and et cetera, et cetera. He's, this guy, there's not, he didn't do anything wrong. And look at this. He could have come down from the cross because he was innocent. But listen, Jesus laid down his rights, his rights, for something that was greater and bigger, and that was getting us reconciled back to the Father. One great mark of godly wisdom, and that's full of mercy. You don't always give people what they deserve. If we did, none of us would ever show up at the church because we'd all be on the outs. It's full of mercy and it's full of good fruits. That reminds me of something, right? All of you, it reminds you of something. In Galatians 5, we're told that we either are doing one of two things every single day as a Christian. We're either walking according to the flesh or we're walking according to the Spirit. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that not to be drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be being filled with the Spirit so that God can uh, grow fruit in our lives, great fruit of peace and love and joy and self-control and all of them that you know, that he can do that so other people can come and be refreshed by your life and my life. Good fruits. Without partiality, that means that person and that person, all of them deserve our love and attention, but it also means being very decisive in your life. Why? Why can we be decisive? We can be decisive not because we have all the answers, but because he has all the answers. And when we trust him, we move out in decisiveness. And without hypocrisy, oh my it's without posing, without putting on masks, being very sincere and living honestly, not deceptively. That's the wisdom of God. And you see this? There's two different kinds of wisdom. We talked about it all through the book of Ecclesiastes. There's the wisdom that's under the sun. It's described here, and it's bitter and self-seeking. And it, it's confusing and, and not very uh, decisive or stable and every evil thing is there. And then there's, there's this wisdom that's heavenly, that's above the sun, that's according to the Spirit. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the last verse, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So what the Bible is telling us right here, James is telling us through the Holy Spirit is this. You and I, we, under the guidance of the Lord, sow righteous things by the wisdom of God. See, if you're sowing things that are evil or dishonest or uh, uh, not decisive or being partial, or, or you're, if you're sowing this bitter, evil, speaking behind people's backs, you're going to, and I'm going to, reap 
what I sow. But if I sow according to the Spirit, this godly wisdom, there will be righteousness that grows up out of it. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is always a right standing. Look at this. Listen to this. Righteousness is a right standing with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But then a right standing as much as it's up to us with other people, which includes not speaking when they're not present or or not gossiping when they're not present. If you have to talk about somebody behind their back, speak of them well. So here it comes. Here's the punchline. Many of you, as you're listening to this so far, you're saying, man, I'm beat up. Guess what? I feel the same way. I'm beat up. Here's the part. If you say to yourself right now, okay, it's my tongue. I'm going to fix it. I'll fix my tongue. I'll do better. Some people actually say, I'm just going to shut up and stay silent. And the Bible's never for that. Listen, you wouldn't tie up a ship (laughs) and never let it go into the sea. You use use the ship for what it was intended for. You wouldn't tie up the horse of the sable and never let it out and run. No, it needs to transport you or do things with it. But you need the bit and the bridle. You need the rudder. So what do I do? You don't start with the tongue. You start with the heart. You start with the heart. You repent. You say right now, Man, I've been doing that. I've been saying, provoking, or, wound, or provocative or wounding words about people when they're not around. I've been sowing discord among the brethren. I, 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 I've said something that was just not right when people weren't around. I've been living according to this hev- or demonic earthly, fleshly wisdom. Lord, come fill me up with your light and life. Come and fill me afresh. I want to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, listen. If you do that, I want you to remember something. It's this. In Acts 2, right? In Acts 2, what happened? It's the day of Pentecost. What fell upon the people as they were being filled with the Holy Spirit? Or who fell? Who fell was the Holy Spirit. And what came upon the people were tongues. You can sit here and agree or disagree with whether tongues are valid for today or not. We believe they are. But I want you to see, you can go there and read the chapter, what the tongues led to. The tongue led, the tongues led to speaking the wonderful works of God. Exact quote. And then the teaching of the word, tongues ceased for that time, during that, and, and, and the, uh, they, they preached the word and thousands came to know the Lord. Salvation came. Why am I saying that? See, because you're going to uh, uh, go out of here and you're going to uh, run into people and they're going to start talking in a way that's not godly. Or maybe you're going to tr- you know, catch yourself starting to talk in a way that's ungodly. What do I do? You pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit. You practice speech that speaks of the wonderful works of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
Whatever you believe about tongues, you pray unto the Lord, you ask to be filled, and listen. Remember, tongues were like flames of fire. What have we been talking about here? You can either have your speech be caught on fire by the fires of hell and create unbelievable damage, or you can have your speech under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit be fueled by the Holy Spirit proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Do you see it? And many will come to know him through the teachings and the filling of the Holy Spirit. What do I do? It's a hard issue. Well, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You speak the wonderful things of God. Maybe even before both of those, you pray like David. Lord, I've done these things. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then uh, uh, come and speak of the wonderful works of God. And, and then uh, uh, be alert. Why do I say that? Well, Psalm 141 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, as we read earlier. And then this. I know the question's coming. I know the question's coming. Okay, I'm, I'm having victory in that area. But there's this one certain person. They want to confide in me. And they're so loving and wonderful. They come over to my house or they text me or they send me an email and they want to get together. And that's fine, but I know what's coming. When I get together with them, they're going to start up this talk that's provocative and wounding and hurtful and whispering and backbiting and slanderous. What do I do? Well, we read it already. Proverbs 26.20 says, don't add any fuel to the fire. Don't add any fuel to the fire. If there's no fuel, and if you're not a tail bearer, if you don't let the tail linger long, the, the, the uh, striving will cease. It'll, it'll burn out. So what do you do? Well, when somebody starts speaking like that, just be real honest with them. Oh, man, you know, that person's not here. I don't feel comfortable talking about that, uh, them. What would you rather be, obedient to the Lord or risk hurting the other person's feelings? And then finally... Colossians 4, 6 says this, let your speech always be seasoned with salt and grace that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Be always graceful, always salty. Salty, what do I mean? What, are, what do they mean? What does the Bible mean? It means leaving people thirsty for the Lord. You speak of grace. You speak of all the great things that the Lord has done as you're filled up with him. And as he starts taking those that, that speech, your tongue, and the things that you've been sharing with someone, and he sets them on fire for his glory and for his good, like Acts 2. How do you practically do it? Well, you know, that same friend that calls you, that wants to email you and talk about people. As, they, as you say, man, I don't really want to talk about that person or that thing that's really not appropriate according to, you know, what God wants for me. You just say this, but show me, tell me, friend, what's God doing in your life? And guess what? You've now just taken the conversation and made it graceful. And you've made it graceful. So that's what we can do. Create in me a clean heart. Be filled with the Spirit. Be alert. Don't add any fuel to the fire. And always uh, season your speech with salt and grace. Well, why don't you pray with me as we uh, conclude this teaching and we just have... Uh, one last worship song after.
Pray with me, would you? Lord, we come here this morning thankful and grateful. Lord, what a hard lesson. And what a reminder, the Lord, that we need you every hour. Every hour we need you, Lord. Because I don't know about everybody else, but my speech can get out of hand. Help us grow us in these areas, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one thing I failed to mention, and I want to mention, just know this. You know how some people, you'll see it on a, a, a celebrity, or maybe you've said this yourself, and I'll leave you with this. Celebrity or some, you know, somebody on TV have said, you know, I said that thing, but it wasn't really who I am. You know what I'm saying? They say, it wasn't really me. I said that. It was bad, but it wasn't really me. And James right here and Jesus in the Gospels says that sentence or that quotation is not true. If you want to see who a, person's, a person is, just listen to them speak. <laughs> so out of the heart, may, may the Lord just do a mighty work in our hearts. In Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And we'll see you Wednesday.